I'm Mike. I'm Austin. We are the test drivers. And we put tech through its paces. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is our biggest show ever for brand new hardware. Oh, man. It's everything I thought, today. <laughs> I thought Techtember was a lot. Techtober, well, it does help that I feel like it's been a couple weeks since we recorded last time, so there's uh-huh. a little bit more than usual. But there's not just a lot of tech to talk about. There's a lot of excellent stuff to talk about that I have been just literally counting down the days for the episode because there's so much to go over. But we would be doing uh, the... I was going to say Z Flip Nation. I don't know where that came Whoa. from. That the new podcast? <laughs> we'll be doing Welcome the Z Flip Nation. Z Flip Nation. We'll be doing them a disservice if we didn't mention that there is actual, there's more Z Flips. There's another Z Flip, kind of. I can't believe it. Look, okay, out of all the great, amazing stuff we have to talk about today, I am so underwhelmed by this. The fact this that they did the whole sucks. unpacked. <laughs> A whole <laughs> unpacked for some different colors. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh. But hey, you can choose. <laughs> yeah. So Samsung Woo. did like a mini kind of event thing, and then they branded it as such. Like I, I don't, I, I, I can't imagine people would have been expecting a, a big revelation. But basically, you can customize some of their devices i think z flip 3 and some others they have some different color options and you can be like yeah i want this color and that color it's a bunch like a pastel colors different colors than what they sell already i don't know i mean look i, I like the fact that there's customization with the z mm-hmm. flip which is obviously a very fashion forward kind of fashion phone forward. so you can adjust the i guess what would you call it because it's the the top part where the camera and the screen is that's always black but i guess it's the bottom part of the glass the back glass and then uh-huh. the actual frame of the phone so you can do silver black for the frame and then like a small handful of colors for the the rest of the glass. I guess the problem I have is that, first of all, this is, what, two months after the Z Flip came out, so it's kind of late. My other problem is it's $100 more, which, I mean, sure. And it's nice that you can send your Z Flip in and they'll swap the glass. Uh, but have they heard of this thing called uh, a dbrand, uh, which allows you to do way more colors and uh, swap it out in like two seconds and it costs $10? I don't get it. I really don't get it. I mean, it's probably, yeah, they did hear companies like Dbrand, and that's what they're doing, this kind of thing, right? They they want to get in, even if they can get in on this action a little bit, why not get in on this action a bit? I mean, if I was ordering a brand new Z Flip, if they would have announced this at the actual, like when they announced the phone, and like I could have chosen all the different colors and my bespoke edition, yeah. I would have been like, oh, okay, maybe. But the fact that like, I would assume most hardcore Z Flip gang members have already bought our Z Flips. So are we really going to go and spend $100 plus shipping our phones into Samsung so they can change the color? I mean, I know for me, I'm just going to slap a skin on it and call it a day. So I, it's it's cool, but like, I'm also kind of salty. They did a whole event about this and it was 7 a.m. in the morning. And I was like, really? You're just going to talk to me about five new colors of the Z Flip? Cool. The bespoke upgrade care service. <laughs> Samsung are so great at these names. (laughs) That is wild to me that you would send in your phone for the color to be changed. I mean, I don't know. Are are you ready to to swap your color? I mean, actually, have you looked through the different colors? Because I guess for me, the other thing that was disappointing, there's just not that many options. I looked through, I was like, I would not have picked any of these. I mean... (sighs) Maybe if like I was buying it straight up, I might have done it. But I don't. I th- I actually think the standard colors that they have mm-hmm. are nicer than these ones. 
Yes, the green, I am 1,000% more in love with than any of the ones. I do kind of like some of the silver kind of like chassis or rails, whatever they call it, like the, uh-huh. kind of the frame of it. The silver kind of looks cool. Like there's maybe some colorways I could have done there. But out of all the different configurations that you can choose on their little online configurator, I don't really like any of them more than the green one that's in my pocket right now. Right. I just realized I forgot to tell you I got my strap case thing. Oh, you mean the one that's <laughs> flipping for like $200 on eBay right now? The, uh, yeah, the with blue one with like the orange strap on it. How do you like it? What I'll say is having the strap is actually really good to like just hold the device really easily. Like, you know, it, it's effectively like a pop socket or whatever, right? Um, mm-hmm. But the case is so bulky. It makes the phone feel uh, huge. Well, so is it is it thick? It's because it's, thick. I guess it's two pieces, right? On yeah, front and back, no, and you got is, the strap in the middle. It is very thick. It's in a way that I'm actually quite surprised about. It honestly, it feels like a rugged case, which I don't think it's meant to be. Ooh, yeah, that's definitely you know not what I mean. The move. Like it, it feels like I could now bounce this thing around a little bit if I wanted to, and it wouldn't be an issue. And uh, that was a surprise to me because that didn't really feel like what they were going for. But mm-hmm. like this is easily the thickest silicone case that I've used, and I think oh, part wait, of it is because silicone? it's silicone. Yeah, I thought it was plastic. I didn't even realize. No, oh, it's, it's a silicone weirder. rubber. Oh yeah, and like it might be partly because they've got to put like the the little straps got to tuck into somewhere, but it should only sure. be on the top side. The rest, like the bottom of it, they've they've kept it equal. So like the whole thing is is actually pretty thick. It looks cool, but it's I don't know. It's it's made the whole phone like feel like it's twice as large. It's not, but that's how it feels. It's weird, but I like the strap. The strap is really fun. And then I just think stylistically, it's actually a pretty cool looking case. It's very unique, which if you're going to put a case on this phone, you at least want it to be unique. Yeah, yeah. I guess my concern, I guess, and the reason I've really never actually bought a case for the Z Flip is all folding phones, I guess, uh, with one exception we're about to talk about, um, are thick, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that uh, adding additional thickness, not really what I'm about, especially considering that the screen is already kind of protected because it's closed. Uh, I'm glad you've got it. I think based on what you've just described to me, this is uh, going to be a no-go for me. All right. uh, We've got three main product categories to talk about today. Um, where we've got new devices. So we have stuff from Surface, we have Pixel stuff, and we have MacBook Pros, right? They're kind of the big things going on that everybody's known about by now. Um, But we should talk about Surface stuff, and we're going to talk about the Duo too. But I wanted to also ask you about the Laptop Studio, because since we last spoke, you've had an extended period of time with one of these things, right? With both, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny. As the, we go down the show, the level of embargo slash our hands-on time is going to decrease because the surface yep. stuff, embargoes are lifted, spent time with it, fully rated to go. Some of the other things we're going to talk about later, not so much. Yes. So Laptop Studio. Um, it's an interesting device, right? Super interesting device. You know, if, if you haven't seen it, it's like uh, I wouldn't even... How would you even describe the the way the like the form factor? Because it's not like a two in one, but like the screen kind of like hinges kind of halfway up, and you can kind of fold it flat. But like when you put it in laptop mode, which I feel like is the thing I always have problems with two in ones. When you have it in laptop mode, there's no real sort of downside. Like it doesn't like rotate backward where you're holding the keyboard like as a tablet. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's nice, right? The 120 hertz display, as we've seen from another certain other laptop that's been announced, very nice. Although uh, they're still rolling out some driver support for like variable refresh rate. Right now, okay. it's still kind of like. Uh, it's not, especially when you're running on the integrated graphics, it's not always the smoothest thing in the world, but also part of that I think is due to like the power modes and whatnot, but we can talk about that later. Uh, the shelf that kind of hides the pen is nice, but there's also some things that are a little bit, um, especially given the MacBook context, a little bit strange, right? Okay. The first thing that a hundred percent jumps out to me, the Surface dropped ports this year. So the newest range between this and the Surface Pro 8, they've gone to Thunderbolt, which is very nice because before they had like a USB-C port and that was pretty much it. They had like USB-A and a bunch of other stuff. Now we've got two Thunderbolt 4 ports and then we've got like a headphone jack on the Surface connector. There's no HDMI, there's no SD card, there's nothing like that, which is funny because it's like, Microsoft are almost skating where the puck was. And as soon as they release the new products, uh, Apple goes, psych, here's a, here's a bunch of extra ports that uh, we've got. Like, it's such a weird yeah. world we live in. I mean, I know I know this annoys people, but the, the proof is, is out there, right? Like, when Apple does a thing, it allows other companies an excuse to do said thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, first getting rid of the headphone jack, and now all the big flagships this year don't come with power adapters in the box, right? Like, yeah. where, you know, everyone at first is like, ha ha, look what Apple's doing, and then they're like, great, now next <laughs> year, we don't need to do this. Because Apple does this stuff for good business reasons for them, usually. Like, it's a could be a cost-saving, or it's a space-saving inside of the device that allows them to do other things, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? And so, you know, I think Apple was was trying to tell the world that they were getting rid of ports for good reason. Uh, so everybody else, I guess, thought that they could also do this and reduce the ports that they have. But really, Apple probably knew the entire time that it <laughs> wasn't a good reason, but they just did it anyway. <laughs> so now they're bringing ports back, and now everybody else has got egg on their face for following along, <laughs> I suppose. But to be fair, to be fair to Microsoft, though, they did actually add something here, though, right? As you said, like the Thunderbolt 4 is an addition, because I think yes. previously they've kind of just been like, oh, you know, Surface Connect is more than enough. Mm-hmm. And to be you fair, know? it still does have Surface Connector, which is one place where Apple's kind of tried to re-catch back up by bringing back MagSafe. Well, the Surface Connector is basically MagSafe, except that has additional functionality, especially if you have like one of the Surface docks or little hub things it or whatever. Can pass, so, like, it can pass data, right? Surface Connector? Yes, it has in the past. To be fair, I don't know if it still does that for the Laptop Studio. I assume so because I haven't heard anything why it wouldn't. But in the past, yeah, you could uh, hook up using the Surface Connector and it would give you additional stuff. I don't think MagSafe passes data. I don't think it does. No, I know there's all the rumors, and we'll talk about the Mac, uh, the MacBook yeah. stuff later. But there's rumors like, oh, maybe you'll do like Ethernet through MagSafe or whatever. Doesn't seem to be the case. Um, but okay, so a couple of concerns because I like the hardware of the Surface Laptop Studio, even though it's a little bit chungusy, a little heavy, so as, that, like, as the kids say. Two tier design, mm-hmm. right? It's also just dense. Like it's a 14-ish inch laptop, but it's like. I should know this off the top of my head. It's like three and a half pounds. Like it's, it definitely is very substantial in the hand, even though the the little shelf helps you sort of when you're holding it. But the price, I think, is actually the one of the spots where, especially given the MacBook context that we now have, it's a little tough, right? So the really only configuration that you should really consider kind of going for out of the box is the $2,100 model, which comes with the upgraded Quad 7 processor, 16 gigs of RAM, 512 gig SSD, and a 3050 Ti. So it is an RCX card. But considering how expensive this laptop is and the way it's designed, 
getting the lower end models that don't have dedicated graphics to me seems like you might as well just buy like a Surface Pro or something. Like you just if you're gonna get the large device, you should have the extra performance, in my opinion. And the problem is, is that at that $2,100 price point, assuming that the rumors and all the quotes from Apple are true, this thing is not on the same playing field in performance. It, and it, I will say just like, even compared to like M1 Max that exist right now, it feels decent. It doesn't feel super fast. It doesn't feel like it really takes a ton of advantage of the 120Hz display. Windows 11 is nice, but with the context of how just fast and snappy M1 Max are, it feels like it's still somewhat hamstrung by the fact that it's using you know the 11th gen Intel processors, which are fine, uh, but I can't help feel like, at the very least, an AMD chip inside the laptop studio would have made a difference, and they just mm. opted not to go with that. Yeah, that's interesting. It was a surprise to me that they only went with Intel. Like, I don't, I don't really know why... They specifically made that decision, but who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I think Microsoft's decisions on this stuff are incredibly complex. It absolutely is. Yeah, well, like, think about it from Microsoft's perspective. You know, they have to keep Qualcomm happy. Yeah. They have to keep AMD happy. They have yeah. to keep Intel happy. And they also have to keep, like, the HPs and the Dells of the world happy because they're essentially competing with all of their closest partners. So it's it's a very awkward position, I'm sure. And I bet, like, these decisions are made... Not always necessarily with like the best product in mind, but like the oh we owe Intel, there we're gonna use their chips this time and we're gonna use AMD next time. Whatever. Like I know that there's a lot of politics that go into these decisions, whether it's on the Surface team or you mm-hmm. know a level up or whatever the case is. So, like I get it, and I, there's nothing against 11th gen Intel. Like it's fine. I just feel like especially for a device like this, which is meant to be a little bit more of like a content creator device, a quad core okay Intel chip is not. I mean, just AMD would have been better for the kind of tasks that we would have been doing. And M1 Pro and M1 Max are <clears throat> looking... Saying uh, that, right? So, like, I feel like... And this isn't... I don't mean this in a bad way, but, like, I feel like the phrase, like, content creator device has become in a bit of a catch-all for, like, nice hardware that's expensive and powerful. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And but do you actually think that this, this laptop has an audience? <sighs> yeah, I mean, like... I think for like an artist, I think of someone who can really take good advantage of the pen. I think someone who needs a laptop with a little bit more performance than like a, a standard like Ultrabook or something without dedicated mm-hmm. graphics. The problem is though, is that like, it's this weird kind of middle zone in that it is more expensive than a lot of sort of like 14 inch gaming laptops, right? Yeah, I think about the Razer Blade 14. I think about the uh, ROG Zephyrus G14, both of which are phenomenal laptops that a lot of creators have used because they have not only the more powerful AMD processors, but they pack like full on like RTX 30, 60s or you go all the way to like an RTX 3080 and the Blade 14 and they're based on your spec comparably priced so it's like the Surface has some advantages in the, the fact that it has like the touchscreen and the, the flippy yeah. tilty design but it's not that much thinner it's not that much lighter it's certainly not as powerful and it's more expensive so it's just kind of a little bit of a hard sell and then of course on the other side if you really want performance you've got these new 14 and 16 inch MacBooks it just hits a weird sort of spot in the market where it's very difficult for me to say you oh the laptop studio is perfect for you Mike because uh you like uh I mean I feel mm, like, like I surface. can tell you the person who it's perfect for but it I don't know if this person exists like do do you enjoy using windows you mm-hmm. are an artist and you need to mm-hmm. draw you like to game and you never want to take your laptop anywhere. 
Yeah, yeah. Right? That, like then it's, yeah. it's for you, right? <laughs> oh, and also you have maybe a little bit more money than you should. <laughs> yeah, which Microsoft right? would be happy to take care of. Yeah, well, because as you say, it's like it is it is a high-priced machine for its specs because of the hardware. So you've got to, all of those other parts have to be checked first. And like, mm-hmm. but if you are even close to that bucket, like this is great. But like, when I say you don't want to take it anyway, it's like, yeah, you can turn it into a tablet, but like not a tablet though. Like it, this That's is too so big heavy. and heavy. So really it's got to be like a drawing easel. So then you've got to be, you know, like this is a product that this is really, it feels like these days, Microsoft is the only mainstream company that makes hardware like this which is like it's really great for a very niche market because like the 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 surface studio was like this too yeah yeah do you want a big screen which is kind of underpowered but you can pull it down to be a drawing table right like it's in, like it's, it's, this is a very specific slice of the market, and the, maybe that's what the studio line means for Microsoft, and that's not a bad thing. Because I stand by what I said when I saw it. Like this is exciting looking hardware, but absolutely the issue absolutely. is when the nuts and bolts of it uh, maybe aren't so much. Which, funnily enough, I think actually dovetails quite nicely into oh, the no. Surface Duo too. <laughs> Oh, Mike, you gotta, you gotta, what a terribly accurate, uh, uh, transition. Cause, okay. All right. So, uh, I got this. So for context, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago or so I was able to get my hands on both these devices pretty briefly as long as well as the surface pro eight. Right. And so, you know, playing with them for a few minutes is one thing. Spending more time with them is a different one. So the Surface Duo 2 on the Surface seems like a massive upgrade because it is a massive upgrade, right? So you've got better specs. You know, the the Surface Duo 1, kind of like the original Z Flip, but it was even later, so it was more out of date, uh, was like, you know, using an out-of-date processor. It didn't have 5G. It didn't have simple things like NFC. Uh, There was a lot of flaws with that first Surface Duo that have been really rectified, you know? So we've got the Snapdragon 888. We've got that full 5G as well as millimeter wave. We've got bigger batteries. We've got larger displays that are now curved on the inside, which actually does make a difference. They're also now 90 hertz, which also makes, I would say, an even bigger difference. It's nice and responsive across both displays most of the time. Uh, And it has real cameras, right? So that first Surface Duo uh, basically had a front-facing camera that you could flip around, which was less than ideal because the quality was terrible. The new Surface Duo now has a triple camera setup on the back of the phone, which means that there is now a camera bump, but I will say they've done it in about as good of a job, I think, as they could have done with this camera bump because even though it's large and it's thick, it is actually magnetic. So when you flip the phone around, not only does it sort of like snap closed or snap, I guess, sort of with the camera bump touching the back of the display so you can kind of hold it up to take photos. Or so actually, no, I guess you would be closing it to take photos. Regardless, it's a good, solid design. But the problem is that last year, you could just flip the phone open, right, with the one screen facing the back, and you could do some cool stuff like, you know, like, oh, here, I'm going to show you, like, taking a selfie while we have the screen. Or, you know, you're going to hold, like, a regular phone. Now, the only real way to take a photo with the Surface Duo is with the entire thing unfolded, which is not the most ergonomic way to take a photo. And then, uh, uh, look, I just got to say it. Uh, The software's not there. Like, it's not there. It's not there. I can't... Like, this is the thing last time, right? Where, like, the hardware was lacking in some areas, but the biggest issue was the software. 
Yep. And it feels like they put so much effort into the hardware. I mean, and I understand the result creates new issues. Like I think uh, I watched uh, Marquez's re- like video about it today, and and he kind of was saying like what you're saying too, which is like they added stuff to the hardware, but that creates n- new problems. But I think yes. the, the biggest issue then is still seems to be the biggest issue now from what you're saying, it, which is that the software isn't good enough. They've improved it. I mean, it finally has uh, Android 11, you know, at the same right. time the Pixel is launching with Android 12. Um, there's a lot of stuff that really reminds me of the old school days of Android scans. And uh, which is, I mean, understandable considering that there's a lot of custom stuff you need to do to make a dual screen form factor like this work, right? Like there's nothing else close to it. Doesn't Even you try to compare it to like. 12 have more Google made support for this kind of form factor, or am I misremembering that? There's a supposedly a little bit. I don't think okay. Android 12 is on any foldable yet. There's also right, a lot okay. of rumors that Android 12.1 will be a very foldable focused update. Um, but okay, there's a couple things here. So like on one side, there's all this custom stuff that Microsoft have done. And I've been able to talk with some of the guys over, you know, who actually are on like the service team. And uh, they do work really closely. You know, they've brought that team in, but they make one Android device, which is the Surface Duo. And they're taking on a massive amount of work, and there's just a lot of stuff there. You know, so like touch mm. responsiveness still isn't great. There's a lot of issues with just moving between the postures, between opening and closing and rotating and stuff. And like it works well most of the time, but also fairly regularly, it'll do something wrong. It'll be rotated the wrong way, something mm-hmm. will be broken. Marquez had this great shot in his video where the camera was like a sliver of one of the screens. That kind of stuff is just still happens. <laughs> and like, <sighs> <laughs> the thing is, the thing to me is like, look, I get that there's an enormous amount of work that is involved in making a form factor like this work. And maybe Android 12.1 will make a big difference. It probably will, realistically. It'll probably help a fair bit. But then uh, the issue is, is that you start coming back to the hardware, which is massively improved. But I feel like when I looked at the first Surface Duo, right, spending time with that, it was a device full of promise, right? This was div- uh, back when... You know, you'd seen this huge jump going from the first Fold to the Galaxy Fold 2. We saw the first Z Flow come out. We knew that there was a second one coming out, which we now know is a massive, massive upgrade. You look at foldable devices that have been hugely upgraded, and that makes sense. But the Surface Duo, even though it's seen all these upgrades, I'm not totally convinced that this is the form factor that's going to work. Because even though they've rectified pretty much all of the hardware issues that, you know, we really had before it's still not that nice to use. Like, it's still very wide. It doesn't fit well in a pocket. It also is still kind of awkward to flip between the two screens, even though they've done a lot of software improvements to make it better. It's like, before, like, sometimes you get a phone call and it would be picking it up on the wrong screen and it would be all kinds of weird. It always defaults to the rightmost screen now, which is where your earpiece is and your front-facing camera and stuff, which is nice. It definitely works better. But, like... I'm just not totally convinced, even if this had phenomenal software, that this form factor is really going to work. I just think about like the fact that the way they fix the cameras is by adding huge camera bumps on the back, which, side note, the cameras aren't very good anyway. But mm. like you have to now shoot with the whole phone unfolded, which means if you want to take a quick shot, it's not like the Z Flip where I can like double tap the button and use the little selfie camera or whatever. I have to unfold the whole screen, open up the camera, then hold it up, and then it's this massive canvas. Like... I, I I almost feel like with that first Surface Duo, there was so much potential that I could kind of like give it a little bit of a pass. Like, you know, it's Gen 1, they're going to improve the software, they're going to improve it, blah, blah, blah. 
I feel like we've kind of seen what the improved version of the duo looks like, and I just don't know. I, I, they may have to be a little bit more radical with the next generation if they do another generation with what this device is, the form factor it's in, the way they target it. Because, like, I want to love it, but it's, it's so specific. It's so niche. There's so many trade-offs, even now with all the upgrades, that it does not give me a lot of confidence that this is the way forward. And it's sad because, like, yeah. we were so excited about it, you know? Yeah, I think this is... I think it's become pretty clear now that the surface duo is style of a substance and mm-hmm. the style is unbelievable right absolutely like, it looks amazing feels amazing to hold of how thin it is but i i think the fact that they have everything that they have done with this device but yet it still just isn't right just suggests that this method just ain't it just ain't it and and like it feels like as to say, even if they did do what they wanted to do with the software, there's just something kind of fundamentally not right with this style of device as yeah. a phone. I think that, honestly, I think this would be a better tablet um than than a yeah. phone. Well, and like I don't think it would be crazy for them if I were to, you know, have a chat with our good old buddy Panos and be like, hey mm-hmm. man, so for you know the next one, just some thoughts. I think after spending time with the duo two. They need to shrink the phone. It's too big. And, like, honestly, right. having those, like, sort of odd aspect ratio, like, it's not square, but it's certainly close to, like, 4 by 3 or 3 by 2 than a traditional very tall screen like most other phones have right now. And that kind of makes sense when you're using, like, you know, the Fold because it is actually one screen. The thing with the Surface Duo is that it, even though, you know, you can open it up to be a large canvas, when you span apps between the screens, unless they're aware and they know how to get around the little kind of bezel that's in between, which is smaller this year, but it's still there, you need to be able to use this as a dual screen device. It's not a big single screen. Mm. But like my thought would be if they make them a little bit sort of taller and more narrow, right? So it's not such a wide device, that actually may go a ways toward fixing it. And if they could put some kind of screen on the outside of the display like the Galaxy Fold does, right? If they, there's a way for me to actually use this phone like a traditional smartphone without mm. unfolding it, with the cameras on the back, with a s- decent screen on the front, and then I can unfold it and then use it as the multitasking, that would go a long way. Because right now, you always have to unfold it to do anything. And it really is like, okay, cool, this screen is perfect to run two apps at the same time. If I'm not running two apps at the same time, it's not good. Yeah, but we're in different territory now because you can't have it be as thin as it is if you're going to put yes. a, a third screen on it, right? But like, and, and, yeah. I would take that trade off. I think I would take that trade off at this point because I just don't think this form factor works. I, I want to be able to use this phone as a normal phone right. when I'm just using it like regularly. And right. when I open it up, that is fine. I want to use two screens, but like right now you're always kind of limited or you're always kind of compromised by having the only way that this thing makes sense is if you're running two apps at the same time. And I don't know about you, but I don't always run two apps at the same time. I run two apps at the same time very rarely. And yeah, sure. A few apps will like show different things on each display, but it's very gimmicky. It's very limited on the support. Because one of the things that's changed this time, especially from the last one is you can't really fold the phone back around on itself in a comfortable way anymore. Now it's always like the back is always off kilter a bit, right? So yeah, if yeah. you do want to use one uh, one app at a time, you kind of can't, but it, as comfortably, like it just doesn't feel as nice and thin to hold. But also you have to have a good camera. If you have to have a good camera, you have to put a button. Like we're, it's a catch-22. They're in a catch-22 yep. situation with us now. Unfortunately, exactly. iteration one was missing a few key features that they clearly designed without 
and now that they've had to put them in, they're now in a loop of of these features now making the actual device worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is really sad. It's like I like this phone. I like yeah. this phone. I like this idea of this phone. But what this is right now, especially at the fifteen hundred dollar price point. Whew. Yeah, man. Do you think they'll do another one? I didn't think they were going to do it too, <laughs> and they <laughs> That's did it. True. I don't know. That's true. I I just I honestly think if they rethink the form factor a little bit, this could be an excellent device with more software work, with some just better cameras, because clearly they have decent hardware, and I don't think the software is there. Um, there's a version of this that can work, but I am more and more convinced now with two generations of sort of hindsight that what they're going after right now, at yeah. least for me, it's just that's this this is the wrong approach. Maybe I'm wrong. But based on the sales in the first one, I don't know if I am. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Pingdom from SolarWinds. If you have a website, what purpose does it serve? Whether it's to drive people to your products, collect sales leads for your company, or even provide customer service of a contact form. If any of these key interactions, these critical transactions fail for your customers, you'll lose out on business and people are going to have a bad experience, which you don't want. As a solution to all of this is transaction monitoring from Pingdom. Starting at just $10 a month, transaction monitoring runs checks 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and will alert you when car checkouts, forms, or login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom can notify you the moment there's a failure over SMS, email, or via your favorite apps like Slack, Ops Genie, and PagerDuty, so it's going to integrate into your existing workflow. And then depending on what's being monitored or the severity of an outage, you can customize who is alerted and how they get that notification in the way that's best for them, depending on how much alerting they need. Don't let your users discover a problem with your website because you want to be the first to know and it's super easy to get started. Just go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you're ready to buy, use the code TESTDRIVERS at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. A thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their continued support of this show and RelayFM. All right, so Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro. Woohoo! Oh, man. Okay. Uh, you have these. We I are do. recording on Friday, October 22nd. We are. Which is before the embargo. It is. Well, before the second embargo. There's two. There's <laughs> okay. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like an unboxing of first impressions embargo, and then there's mm-hmm. like a review embargo. So exactly. All we can talk about on this episode is the basics and follow, and like you know, kind of what Google has said. And then on our next episode, we will do a much more in-depth review kind of thing. Right? Exactly. So basically, yeah, the way they've done the whole Pixel launch has been so weird. Because remember like a couple months ago, like Marquez got to like do a hands-on, but he couldn't mm-hmm. record any video of it. And they showed all the stuff. So basically, with the Pixel 6 in front of me, I can tell you about the hardware and how it feels and how it like looks. But anything more than the home screen, I cannot say, which is... Uh, probably worth the conversation maybe next time about the uh the questionable decisions behind an embargo like that but regardless there is a whole lot to talk about uh, i know that you kind of when we because we both watched the event right yeah i watched it yeah event was weird it was <laughs> it was fine i just i don't know they it just was shot if, weird 
Dude, okay, this is definitely like getting into like the weird, like I'm just uh, obsessive about some of this kind of stuff in the shooting. But like they kept cutting to like a side profile shot of the presenters, but they would always do it as if it was one take. So it would be like, and I, today we're going to talk about the Pixel 6 Pro. They would cut to the side shot. The person would take a breath, wait a second, and then continue talking. It's just like, please edit that out with this mm. such, such an awkward flow breaker. I, they're just trying to be like the Apple stuff and I don't think they do as good of a job and it's just kind of cringy. The like, lighting I, was strange. Like it felt like it was lit really weirdly to me. Like it, uh, I couldn't really explain. It was like they were trying to go for something almost cinematic, and mm-hmm. the presentation just felt a little bit like dry. Not exciting. Yeah. Yep. Some of the presenters were pretty good, but is the uh, Rick Ostolo? Is that the guy's name? Yes, Rick. I like him more live. This like he, yeah. he has a better energy. This one, it felt it felt very dry. Which is fair enough. I mean, like, oh, whatever. Like, I, yeah. The event was the event. They talked about it. But we've gotten so much information about the Pixel well before this that it was really kind of like the big things they talked about, at least to me, were a little bit more information, but the price. The price. Mike, $600 okay. for a Pixel 6. For context, the Pixel 5 last year was $700 with a mid-range processor. Wow. What's going on here? What are they doing? Well, I, I think it's pretty clear. They're going for that real market share play, right? And they've even kind of talked about it, right? They did an interview. I think it was Rick and, and Sundar did an interview with the, the Verge. And they're basically pretty straight up like, yeah, we want this to be a successful device. We really want to push into it. Obviously, Tensor is a huge initiative. It is a sort of the first generation of. Uh, but they are... It's almost like, not to bring it back to one of our favorite conversations, uh, it's almost like they're making a OnePlus move or really to bring it even farther back. It's like they're bringing an old Nexus move where it's a, Mm. well, it's a very promising looking piece of hardware, right? There's a lot going for that Pixel 6 at a pretty reasonable price point. I mean, this is cheaper than any iPhone 13. This is cheaper than any like Galaxy S21. $600 is a very very aggressive price point again considering that the inferior in every way except the size which i like the pixel 5 size more but the inferior in every other way pixel 5 was a hundred dollars more than this that's that that's it's an upgrade that's definitely an upgrade so what 600 for the six and what is it for the pro 900 which i would love to talk a lot more about i'll just say given the specs that they have shown and the differences between the two 50% 50% price bump between the two is a large gulf. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very large. I Very large. A big aspect. I mean, you can see it on paper, though, right? Like what? It's just exactly. an additional camera at a bigger screen? Yeah, yeah. So basically, if you look at the Pixel 6 and the 6 Pro, uh, the Pixel 6, first of all, comes in better colors. The Pro has a bunch of Pro colors, where it's kind of like on the iPhone, you get like the better colors on the, the lower-end models. The Pixel 6, uh, having... Uh, staring at the green one right now i love all the colors but especially i love the green on the pixel 6 like they're more fun they're nicer but there are also things that i think are interesting as far as the design so again kind of curbing a little bit from the iphone the way i understand it is the pixel 6 is aluminum and the pixel 6 pro is stainless steel and the 6 pro has got like kind of like a shiny sort of finish on the outside whereas the 6 is actually a matte finish the pixel 6 uh, hopefully Google doesn't get mad at me for saying this, but I'm pretty sure it's okay under the, under the embargo. The Pixel 6 hardware, I like more. 
It has a flat screen instead of a curved display, but mm -hmm. just in the hand, not only is it a little bit smaller, although still both these phones are too big for Mr. Austin Evans, but that being said, the Pixel 6, even though it's basically the same weight, which is a little bit weird, the feel of it in the hand with the flat display and the nice matte sort of like kind of like frame, uh, it feels better to me. It really does. It, there's, there's a lot to talk about with this one, man. I got to be careful. I you're not gonna get me in trouble, right, Mike? We're not gonna, I'm saying gonna get in nothing. trouble. You're the one going off. I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying nothing. Okay. Well, why don't we talk about what is different, right? Because the Pixel 6 Pro also has a telephoto camera, which the yep. 6 doesn't. Uh, but they both share an ultra wide and a standard, uh, I believe it's 50 megapixel camera. Um the spec of it is so the Pixel 6 has a objectively across the board worst display although they're still both uh on paper pretty solid so pixel 6 has 90 hertz instead of 120 hertz on 6 pro uh, pixel 6 is flat instead of curved on the 6 pro and the pixel 6 has a hd uh, roughly equivalent i know it's a little taller but an h of fhd plus display versus a higher resolution qhd plus on the 6 pro which also supports variable refresh rate, which I do not believe the Pixel 6 does. So that would really be probably the main spot where most people would talk about the, the difference mm. in price. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about that topic that I would love to discuss more next episode. Mm -hmm. But that's, that, that's mostly it though, man. Like besides the size of uh -huh. the devices, it's like, I think it's 6.4 versus like 6.7 or something. Like yep. the 6 Pro is a little bit bigger, um, but there's not, there's, there's a fair few like, minor little like you know speckless details that are different but like broadly speaking i don't see 300 dollars difference between these two phones what is it 200 for an iphone between regular and pro yeah 200 uh, 200 for an iPhone 700 dollars for the mini 800 dollars for the 13 a thousand dollars for the pro yeah mm. yeah um yeah, I know. What do you want to tackle? I mean, like, I feel there's I know, a lot we can talk tricky. about. <laughs> well, I, I have things because so, like, I can go through some of my thoughts about the event, and then you can you can say some of the stuff. So the camera thing they're calling the camera bar, <laughs> which I thought <laughs> is a funny phrase, but I like that they've branded it because like it yeah. is a whole thing. Um, I, one of the things I found interesting with the camera bar is that like it looked like. Do you have any cases? Did they send you any cases? Yes, I have the transparent green case for the 6 Pro. The, the way it looked like in the imagery is that like the case flattened out the whole bar thing. Is that right? Like it's A little the same bit. level? The the bar is still it's 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 a thick bar. Like I I haven't measured. I don't know exactly what it is. Yeah. It's certainly one of the at least visually. It's, it's certainly junky. a yes. That being said, uh I can say that it actually, I don't hate the way that it sort of looks and feels because unlike most camera it. bumps, I think it yeah. looks nice, but it is just a statement piece. But what Absolutely. I was wondering is like the cases that they sell, do they make it that like the back is now flat or is there still a bump? I don't have the case in front of me. I okay. would have to double check. It definitely shrinks it down. Yeah, yeah. I will say, though, that without a case on, both the 6 and the 6 Pro, even though it is a large bump, unlike most phones that kind of rock back and forth, because it's the same sort of size all the way across the phone, it props it up a little bit, but it doesn't really rock as much. I actually would not be surprised if other companies start 
trying to bring some kind of element like this in because it removes one of my biggest pet peeves with camera bumps is just that it makes it really awkward to use when you have it like on a flat surface. And this is the first time where I've seen a very large camera bump not only do that, but also it's almost like a little bit of a shelf for your finger based on your the way you grip your phone, I guess. But like it's sort of a it's a little like not a pop socket kind of thing because I think it's too far, but it's not super outside the realm of possibility where you could actually kind of use your finger to kind of like stabilize on the camera bar. It's a neat idea. I'm a fan of the way that they've done it. And it also kind of helps you get that two-tone where like the top of it can be a little lighter than the rest of the device. Does the phone feel off balance weight-wise? No. No. It feels fine. Um, Okay. Yeah, yeah. It it feels fine. I mean, certainly there's a lot of camera hardware at the top. I guess there's no more hardware as such, right, than any other phone. It's just the way they've decided to to display it is is different. It's just, you know, like you can see why I asked, right? Because it's like... Yeah. It's got like this big thing and it's just kind of like sitting there. Maybe it's better than if they put it right at the very, very top. You know, like maybe that would, yes. would would have some weight issue. But I guess with where it is on the phone, for most people, I suppose, it's not that different. It's not that far off from where you would maybe be resting. Do you find mm-hmm. that you rest it? Does, does it rest on top of your fingers? It's a little higher than I typically hold my phone, especially right. because, uh, again, these are large phones, you know, 6.4, 6.7. The big, they're both big, right? But especially the, the Pro is, is that little bit bigger exactly it is, yeah it, it is actually what is it, six point that's a big phone 6.4 inches like as you're starting is that a big phone i find it so hard it these is. days to no it absolutely is All the right. pixel 5 i loved the pixel 5 for the size right like yeah. it was a little bit bigger than like an iphone mini but it was still yeah. a much more compact device and i also just loved the hardware of that if they yeah, had okay. a smaller the device iPhone, the iphone regular iphone is 6.1 and then the big one is 6.7 so like Mm -hmm. basically the pixel 6 is like halfway between the iphone to the pro uh, the the regular to the max in size what i would highly recommend is to go to gsm arena i love using their compare tool because it's a really easy way of getting all the different sizes take a look if you're curious about the 6 or the 6 pro load up in that tool the pixel 5 pixel 6 pro whatever you you'll see pretty quickly that it's a I would say a medium to large size device, both of them. The the Pro is definitely just full size, like huge. But even the regular Pixel 6 is a large device. So if it was a little bit smaller, I think that that camera bar would be exactly where my finger is. The way it is now on both devices, it's a little higher, so I don't usually use it. But I definitely kind of from time to time pulled my finger up there. Um, It's an interesting choice. But I like the look of it. I like the look of it. I like the hardware. I wish it was smaller just because I like smaller phones. But I think... Mm -hmm. For most people, these are the size of phones that they're looking for, right? So I don't think most people are going to pick this up and go, like, oh, my God, it feels terrible. Like, it's well-balanced. It feels nice. I just prefer the 6, not just because of the size, but also I like the matte feeling of the chassis. Um, it just, to me, it has a little bit of a more of a premium feel compared to the kind of, like, glossy, stainless look of the Pro. All right, I want to go back to the camera stuff. I want to talk about the hardware and the features, not the performance, but because we don't, who could even know? Um, who could know? How would could they know? know. Uh, folded optics for a four times telephoto. Is this a periscope lens? Yeah, it, dude, it is very similar oh, okay. to what you get so on the exactly Samsung the same, Ultra. But it's, it's similar. I don't 
know exactly what the sensor and stuff are, but yeah, it's it's right. essentially what you get in the 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 ultra line of of Samsung sort of flagships where they do the the, the space zoom and stuff. Where right, and their it's, super uh, zoom thing, which is their machine learning powered thing, mm-hmm. goes up to twenty times now, but it's got a four times telephoto. Yes, four times. I don't know. Like, so I, I've gone up to three, right? I'm up to three on my iPhone now. And mm-hmm. a lot of the time I feel like that's actually further than I want. Maybe I've just got to get used to it a little bit more. Four yeah. times feels like I might be going too much of a zoom as my only option. You know, it's like, cause well, y- you do have a option to digitally zoom the One X camera, which yeah, may or may not, not what I want. give. It may or may not work okay. It may or may not. But it's one of it's not what I want. I got. I like having a telephoto lens where I know yeah. I'm going to get. Because otherwise, I'll just take a photo and just crop it. Like I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't use digital zoom. Um, I just take a picture and crop the image. So Google in the past have offered they've done uh, stuff a, uh, yeah yes yeah, yeah, they've I, done I, stuff I in the past that mm-hmm. works fairly well when it comes to zooming in with their whatever their ai is uh super zoom that, yeah that thing. might might be a thing I, I i couldn't say but potentially but yeah i definitely hear you 4x though i don't find is a really unreasonable focal length it's certainly mm-hmm. tight but the advantage of using those folded optics compared to like something like on the iPhone is on the iPhone, you have a very small sort of Z height. Like you don't have that much depth, which mm-hmm. means that the lens, especially the sensor has to be small. Whereas right. on the Pixel 6, the, the sensor theoretically could be much larger because they can just flip it over and then all the optics can run, you know, whatever the, the, the much longer sort of distance on, on its side inside the device. Right. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but uh, 4X is fine. 4X okay. is fine for me. So the Tensor chip, which I want to talk about in a minute. Oh, boy. The <laughs> <laughs> camera does a few things. It seems like it's the Tensor chip that's doing it. Again, I don't know how much of it is actually that or it's what Google have decided it will be. Apple do this too, right? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is what we've decided does is the only way to do some of these <laughs> things so we can say it's on these phones. Magic Eraser, which lets you remove people or things from images... Face unblur, which looks actually very clever by using a couple of cameras and machine learning to unblur people's faces. And they're also doing a lot of work to better represent darker skin tones. I'm not sure if that was a Tensor-related thing or just like a Google camera image thing. That's a good question. I mean, I assume almost all of these features are really software-based, and I would yeah. assume that Tensor is just kind of what they're using to power it. Yeah, um, yeah a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff that they've talked about. They all look like really good features, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, the face on blow ones seemed pretty smart, like in a way that was kind of like, oh, I'm surprised I haven't seen somebody do this before. Um, but maybe yeah. Google's just the company to do it. So, Well, I mean, it just again, if we're speaking traditionally, yeah. uh, Pixels have always had sort of almost a step up on other companies as far as the level of processing they do. You know, like, you know, on the iPhone, it's constantly taking stills and it's sort of mashing, you know, six, seven, eight, nine different individual images, you know, the highlights for this one and that one, et cetera, et cetera. I've always found in the past that Pixels do a really good job of, you know, say I'm taking a photo of, of uh, you know, a baby, which I may might do from time to time or most days. As one, as one does when one as has one. As one does. Uh, 
traditionally with pixels, uh, it does a better job of capturing the motion as it happens, right? Yeah. So, you know, if the iPhone will do a decent job and it'll try to find the best individual stills, so, you know, uh, moving subject moves or whatever. But traditionally, pixels have done well here. So it certainly makes sense to me um, that the pixel would continue to do well with a beefy tensor processor that can crush 40 billion teraflops or whatever they quote, which I don't think that's the number, but, you know. Similar. They also Similar. like... Um, the magic eraser thing actually was funny to me because well one last thing that they say which obviously we can't talk about apparently videos better but ma- the magic eraser thing is funny to me because it's one of these typical things of like Google you've shown me this before oh <laughs> uh, yeah it seems like a, right? something we saw where you could remove a fence, fence. many years ago yeah. yeah yeah that seems like a thing they've uh, done it like it's like I love when <laughs> Google does this like in a way that I don't think any other tech company does we're like look at this amazing thing and then like a couple of years later or whatever hey we did this thing and like another <laughs> one of these is like the uh, waiting on hold thing that, the, yeah. that, that they, they could do which looks really cool but it's like they they introduced these these features like three or four different times and i i always find that very funny about them google google talk too much sometimes like in in some of their presentations in in a way that is funny to me like i, I think i said this at the last io which is like sometimes it feels like google io is a time where every team wants to have its moment Mm-hmm. And so they just want to keep, like they'll just trot everybody out. Everyone gets their ten minutes, and then everyone gets to say their thing. And by doing that, not only does it inflate the the presentations to an absurdly long and drawn out time like length, uh, they end up doing these kinds of things where like a team has done some cool research, but it's not actually available. And so you end right. up seeing these features multiple times. So it's like. There was no point showing me the fence removal thing if it wasn't going to come for like two years. Uh, yeah. But, but it looks cool lots, lots and lots to talk about, Mike. Yeah. Next time on The Test Driver. Uh, I'm not done. I want to ask. I've got more, I've got more hot water to put you in. I've <laughs> <laughs> got, oh, I got no. more questions. I think there's more stuff. I, I have more stuff that we could talk about that I don't think is going to get you in any trouble. But let's take a break first. This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by Tech Talk, a podcast from the folks at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. I love finding new podcasts. I know you do too. We all love listening to podcasts here. And Tech Talk is a show that will talk you through HPE news, tech insights, and world-class innovations. I checked out an episode uh, just yesterday that was focused on how companies can integrate the power of cloud into every part of their business setup. This is a thing that people want to do more and more now. Um, it does, and this episode does a great job of talking about how companies can move through this, like to what's called a hybrid model of the way that you integrate cloud. Like, so you get like the benefits of cloud, uh, like cloud computing and stuff like that. But in every part of your company, that's not necessarily all available to the public. If this is something that you might be thinking of, it's a great listen for you. And there are many other wonderful topics, like why the future of data is cloud native and hybrid. Uh, the future of technology, data management, disruptive software ecosystems, and AI, and how you can harness the power of 5G to offer ultimate experiences. And the show takes you straight to the source, interviewing some really impressive tech leaders. Previous guests have included people like Dr. Michael Roberts from ISS US National Lab, uh, Erica Varis Doggett, research scientist at Studio Lab, and Monica Livingstone from Intel. 
Listen to brand new episodes of HPE's Tech Talk on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Search for Tech Talk now or click the link in the show notes and go there straight away. A thanks to HPE Tech Talk for their support of this show and Relay FM. I want to talk to you about Tensor. Oh boy. Okay. This is an area that I am very excited to talk about. <laughs> We're not going to talk like, about performance. I'm stressed, man. I'm stressed. I, know Look, you are. I feel like I've got the man over my shoulder All right now. All we're going to talk about right now okay. is what they spoke about. Okay. So, cool. what I want to talk about. So, All right. they said Tensor is not one size fits all hardware. Right? This is a thing that they were pushing on, which seemed like more shade than Google needed to throw <laughs> towards Qualcomm. <laughs> Yeah, well, like, remember there was, uh, like, last week or whatever, uh, Qualcomm, they had, like, some snarky tweet about how, like, oh, I'm so glad that so many people love Qualcomm. <laughs> Isn't it great to have our processors? Like, there's definitely a little bit of uh, a little bit of salt between yeah. the two, um, which seems really unnecessary because, like, look, even if the Pixel is a wild success, it is going to be, like, a fraction of a percent of what Qualcomm would have sold this year anyway. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But I think yeah. it's more of just, like, the... The diss that's kind of stinging more than anything else. What is this rumor about Tensor and Exynos? Okay, so actually I can talk about this freely because none of the Google information they've given talks about this at all. The way I understand it, and still not confirmed, right? So the way I understand it is that this is a semi-custom chip that is made by Samsung that is similar in a lot of ways to the way that AMD makes custom chips for like consoles or something, right? And especially if you look at the wording that Google used when they were talking about the Tensor stuff, they let off with the TPU and the the custom security stuff, the processor bits that they designed, which makes sense, right? You know, they have the Tensor is like, that's something that they have like data centers and machine learning, all this kind of stuff that Google have developed. So it's not outside their own possibility that Google, as they begin to develop these chips, the first part of the chip that they've fully designed is the neural processing and everything that they've just shrunk down for the phones. That makes sense. But for all the more traditional kind of, you know, processor bits, you know, like the cores and, and the GPU and stuff, it very strongly seems like they pulled, you know, ARM cores and GPU stuff like off the shelf, you know, the kind of the designs mm-hmm. that they can just freely license or, well, it's not freely, but they can license from ARM fairly easily. And it's all being fabbed by Samsung. And honestly, in a lot of ways, it seems like it's similar to some Exynos processors, although the specific configuration of the 2 plus 2 plus 4 cores is strange because you've got two X1s, you've got two of the slightly older mid-cores, and then you've got the efficient CPUs. It's it's an unusual configuration that I would love to talk with someone at Google to understand why they chose it. I highly doubt they'll talk about it because they want to talk more about the custom stuff that they did. Um, but it's 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 a very interesting interesting choice of processing graphics bits and pieces that they've gone with with Tensor. Um, but yeah, it, it shouldn't be a surprise, and this is not I'm breaking embargo in anyway. Uh, that they're not targeting you know, the the A15 and M1 and stuff for, you know, traditional performance. They seem much more focused on what the machine learning side of things can do. Yeah, and, that was and the so fact telling that, to me, that part of the presentation. Yeah, yeah. I knew what and they I mean, were saying. They're like, look, don't even, look, you fire up Geekbench, it's no point. Like, we're telling you now that this is not going to be the biggest Geekbench score you've ever seen. Like, And mm. I felt, I could feel that, or it's like, look, 
Because that is kind of a bit silly anyway. It's just like a numbers game. It's, it's fun. Sometimes it's fun for context, but it is what you can do with it, right? Which is more important. Like, you can have the most power ever, but if you can't use it properly, then there's no point. But, like, you know, th- there is, but at the same time, there is interesting context that you can get from a Geekbench score. So it's, not, I don't think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not a be all and end all, but it's, it doesn't tell you nothing. But, like, I could tell that they were, they were being pretty clear, you know, like, that they they they're not having a focus on benchmarks. They're focusing on what they call experiences that tensor can mm-hmm. allow for. And like, look, if you look at just the raw specs, it's still. I mean, you know, the the two high performance cores I look at specifically, like that is a unique kind of thing that most of the time people have like a prime core and then like you know three mid cores or whatever. So the fact that they've got two sort of you know high end cores is interesting. Like. It certainly looks like it should be in the ballpark of a lot of, you know, high-end chips and stuff. Um, it's just, I think, this is their first crack at it, right? And I know they're completely branding it as Tensor. They're not saying anything about Samsung or whatever, although it, to me, seems like Samsung did a lot of the heavy lifting in the back end between Samsung and ARM to kind of, like, pull bits and pieces in here. And it really does mm. feel like it's a type of Exynos processor that has a little bit of googly bits dropped in. Um, but there's also some interesting thoughts going forward because so next year is the year that AMD should bring graphics to Samsung and I would assume therefore Tensor. So you can imagine, even though this actually has a pretty beefy GPU, or at least it seems like a pretty cool, beefy GPU. They said, which was a lot. That seems like Although a lot. You... That seems like a lot for a phone. <laughs> I mean, maybe they're 20 really bad cores. I don't know. But, like, that seems aggressive. I don't you know. You cannot, I, I will say you 100% cannot compare the amount of cores in a GPU uh, to, like, you know, for example, the four or five cores in an A15. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're completely different. Like, the size and the way that the cores yeah, work. All, so like, it's, it's all different. But it still just seemed like a very high number. It is, it is. And if you look at the ARM-style GPUs, the Mali GPUs, that is one of, if not the largest configurations that they can kind of offer. Uh-huh. So, beefy GPU on the surface, right? But <sighs> there's a lot to talk about. I will say one thing that is exciting and that is that this level of performance, which on the surface seems to be pretty solid, is available in the $600 Pixel 6, right? Again, if you kind of compare this yeah. to the iPhone and stuff, you're probably going to be slightly disappointed in like the raw, like Geekbench numbers and some of the responsiveness or whatever the case phone is. To phone, it's cool mm-hmm. that you get the same thing in both of them. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's not, uh, to be fair, I guess the RAM configuration is a little different. I think it's like... 8 versus 12 gigs of RAM or something like One that. One of the but, things I was seeing, which is super weird, was like certain colors have different specs. Did you see this? That I'm not familiar with. Like in the uh, in the Pixel store, you can uh-huh. only get certain like storage sizes with certain colors. Oh, that is weird. Is it just a thing where like, you know, the they sell the green one or like they have like so many colors and each one only comes in so many SKUs so they customize the RAM or something? I'm actually not sure. No, like it's storage. So like Oh, so I'm looking through now, yeah. Yeah, the yellow one and the white one in the Pro, come. you can get those in 128. But the black one, you can get in 256. Oh, so. no, Mike, that makes total sense uh, because pros buy the black phone. So if, <laughs> they if need you the buy a different storage. color... <laughs> exactly, it's the Pro phone, obviously. <laughs> right? Isn't that weird, though? Isn't that really weird? 
that's really strange. I mean, I get it. Like, you know, there's what, I think three colors of each of the of the pixels. So like, you know, that's a lot of different SKUs and you have different carriers and all this kind of stuff. I, I get it. But it's, but I don't understand. Like, it just... Like, why? Yeah, whatever. Like, they've made strange decisions there. Also, like, the store imploded on itself. Like, people were really struggling to buy them. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people are buying them, to be fair. It's probably the, the biggest single day of sales the Google store has ever seen, I would be my guess. about the hype part, actually. So, like, mm. hype was big for this phone in a way that I find odd. Um, okay. Because, I mean, not that it's, like... I think it was not my expectation because they gave all the information away so long ago, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, people have known what this phone was going to look like for a long time. Why do you think it was hyped like this? Did people, like... Did it work, is what I'm asking. Like, did, did that, like, really limited first round of information with a certain set of creators you know who are able to say like google think they've really nailed it and they got making it a flagship phone like they even called it their first flagship phone which i feel like history could suggest that that is not correct <laughs> uh, that they've maybe used that phrase before or at least of price things similar anyway um and you know like in that people you know like oh they've got this custom chip and it's gonna be a mate like what did that did that strategy work for them so, uh, there's a few things to say here. I mean, first of all, it does look like a very impressive device, right? It's it's Google coming out swinging. They've got their own custom silicon, which, you know, amazing or not, is a big statement. You know, they've got the years of, of software updates they're promising. It's the first time they've really redone the camera system uh, on the Pixel in a very long time. Um, it, it definitely seems like Google has a certain kind of swagger about them that they haven't had for a while. Um, I, I think this also is somewhat, well, actually, I think it's a lot of it is also due to the the fact that they've handled things in a very unorthodox way. Like you said, this thing leaked a million years ago, then they did the initial kind of hands-on and, you know, put it up in the store before it was fully unveiled. And then when it was unveiled, creators like myself got a, a hands-on embargo, but we can't say anything more than like what the hardware looks like and our basic thoughts on it. And then sort of at a point in the future, we'll be able to talk fully about it and everything. It's, they've certainly done everything they can to stretch out the hype as much as possible. And to be fair, with prices like the way they've announced it and with everything, the the way it looks on paper, they have probably earned a lot of this hype. I think it is legitimately one of the most exciting phones of the year. And I, I get the fact that people are very excited about it, right? I mean, there's a lot going for it. That being said, I am not a huge fan of the multi-stage embargoes. I think that is always going to paint a phone, no matter if it's good or uh, headphones or whatever, it's always going to paint a device in a better light if you let people talk about it, but they can only say very limited things, which almost by definition have to be positive, right? I mean, if I unbox this phone, it could have, I could say like right now, right? My uh, my full review is going live and, and you know, like it's going to have like terrible performance and all this kind of stuff. But at the moment, I couldn't say anything about that. I can just say that I like the hardware, which mm-hmm. is true. I do like the hardware. That's 100% a fact that I think this is a very nice piece of hardware to touch. But because I can't say anything more than that, really, about performance, about software, everything like that, it could be great or it could be terrible, but all I'm saying are some of the very limited things that they would allow everyone to say, which I don't like. I, I just don't like the way that they've handled that. 
that being said, there's a lot of hype here. I think people will certainly be very excited to get their hands on Pixel 6s. And there's a lot of good stuff in this phone. I'm not going to say that like our next episode, okay, so here's the real story. The Pixel 6 is terrible. I mean, that's just not true. It is not right. a terrible phone. Okay. Like it's That's not what's going to happen. There isn't a gotcha, like a big one anyway. It's not like no, oh, all no, of a no. sudden this phone's actually trash. No, uh-huh. no, no. I will We've not say you. that like... Exactly. It is not some horrible device. I mean, well, a lot of what they said seemed very accurate. It seemed solid, blah, blah, blah. But it is a little bit of a dangerous precedent to set in that if this was terrible, I couldn't say anything about it. And that's, it's not the case this time. I will fully say it's this, this is not a terrible phone, but it could be at some point in life where, you know what I mean? Like it's a little weird, a little weird. I mean, I saw a couple of creators who were just like, I'm just not going to do this. Like I'm going to wait. Yeah. I'm going to just do the four of you. And I, and I don't know what the right way to do it is like people want the info. Like people just, people just want to see an unboxing video. Like, you know, like whatever, like, you know, they just want it. Give me, give me the content, you know? Like, yeah, but I, I think, Maybe they need to, if they want to do the two, like the two tiered thing, they can, they can and should, like a lot of companies do. I, I don't think Google handled that part right. Like, I think it would have just been way better if they were like, hey, you can do an unboxing video and then you could do a review video. You know what I mean? Like, and then it should have been fine. But it was like, you can unbox it and you can say what you think about this and this and this, but nothing more. It's like, I don't know if this is worth specific. it. Yeah. Well, like, Traditionally, there's been a reason for this, you know, like, so uh, Samsung typically do hands on events, you know, a few days yep. to a week before the announcement. Right. Yeah. And that makes sense. You get a little bit of time to, to take a look at the phone under a control, very controlled uh, exactly. in- environment from them. But at least there's fine. a reason for that. Right. Yep. They're not saying, hey, you can't talk about this or that. It's like, hey, yeah, feel free to talk about it. Just obviously it's early impressions, which makes sense, because if you get an hour with the phone, you have an idea about it, but you don't really have the full sort of information. But this is different because we have the phones and sure, yep. COVID and, you know, we couldn't go to a Pixel event and stuff. You've got to hope that this is just a COVID related thing. Like, you know, they want to get your phone and they just messed up. Like, you know, in, in an ideal world, everyone would have just posted something from the hands-on area at the event. Yep. Job done, right? Exactly. But, yeah. And so they're trying to get that twofer but they've done it in a way that, like, they crossed the line mm. where it became weird. It was especially because it's, it's a three for be drawn. Well, it's a three a for because they did yeah. the initial uh, thing, whatever, like two months ago, whatever. So, yeah. look, I'm very excited to spill all you next to tell episode all the details. Mm. The tea will be spilled, as the kids say. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Privacy. Dot com. Look, I've sp- said this many times, and it's true. Like, I, <laughs> I buy lots of things from ads on Instagram. I get companies, and they have advertised to me, like, you know what? I want that thing. But when I'm in the Instagram app, like, I just go there, and it's like, hey, put your card information in. And it's like, mm, I don't really know this company. Do I want to do this? Like, I've had to change my card numbers over before because they get stolen or whatever. It's like a whole big hassle. Privacy is a tool that makes it easy to manage your financial life online while keeping your most important information secure so you never have to worry about this stuff. Because by generating virtual card numbers, privacy masks your bank information so you never have to worry about giving it out to people you don't know online. So you don't have to have that moment where you're like, 
do I want to give this company my card number? Because you could just do it easily. You can take back control of your payments because you're able to decide who can charge that card, how much, and how often, and you can close those cards at any time. Plus, you make sure that you're never accidentally billed twice or upgraded to another service about your consent. This is so simple because you can say like, hey, pick streaming service X or like, you know, you have like a company where maybe, I don't know, you're buying royalty artwork like you know like or music or something from them and you just want to make sure that like oh i just i don't ever want to make sure that go over 10 bucks a month or whatever you can set a limit on that card and so if they ever try to bill you or something goes wrong it's just not going to go through if it goes over that i think this is really cool privacy is also partnered with the good folk over at one password so you can create use and save privacy cards directly within your one password dashboard all the virtual cards created in one password have the same security benefits benefits as your other privacy cards so you can set your set your spending limits create your single use or merchant lock cards whenever you want so cool and then they're all saved there so you don't have to go and save them in later on and it just gives you a nice way to keep them all in one place if you keep all of your other cards in one password too so go to privacy.com slash test drivers and sign up for an account today. New customers will automatically get $5 to spend on your first purchase, which is really great. Go to privacy.com slash test drivers and sign up now. New customers automatically get $5 to spend on your first purchase. Our thanks to Privacy for their support of this show and Relay FM. MacBook Pro, baby. Man, this is a marathon episode. Yep. I'm gonna go, like get, sit down, take a big sip of coffee. Dude, there's so much to talk about with these things. So there's we don't so have much these to talk about. yet. Do, uh, did you order one, <laughs> Mike? Uh, yes, uh, I ordered more than one. I ordered. Uh, okay, let me let me give some context so this doesn't All sound right. bad. All right. Here at the office, we primarily use Macs. Uh, most people in the office use a Mac. And largely because we use Final Cut uh, and, you know, there's a lot of Apple products, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of it is because we use Final Cut. So we have quite a number of Intel Macs throughout the office. Uh, there's a couple of M1 MacBook Airs uh, I'm using, or actually to record right now, I'm using my M1 MacBook Pro. But uh, there's a lot, like Edit Team has, you know, like laptops and iMacs. Like there's a lot of devices here. Mm-hmm. We've been waiting for... I mean, what, a year plus, but even more because obviously there was like all these rumors about Apple Silicon. Yep. We're waiting a long time to upgrade a lot of systems, some 2016 MacBook Pros, and we've got like uh, the iMac Pros and all kinds of stuff. Uh, the other day we placed an order for a very substantial number of 14 and 16-inch MacBooks to replace almost all of the existing Macs in the office. So yes, Mike, there's a large apple.com credit on mm. my uh, credit card statement for this month. Uh, so yes, yes, yes. Uh, I'm guessing you have also uh, dipped a toe into the expensive, expensive Timmy Cook waters. Oh yeah, I got a 14 inch. Uh, I went with the M1 Max. Mm-hmm. Which one did yeah, I get? Did. 14 inch so hard to find in the apple store app which which you ended up going with um yeah with uh what did i get 64 gigabytes of ram two terabyte Ooh. ssd yeah damn that's yeah. a lot of ssd i didn't go with the top tier of the gpu I, I got like the middle one i mean which makes sense i so i did go with the, also the 14, as mm-hmm. of course, that's the right size. Uh, I've got a 14 coming. It is the top tier max, mostly because I just want to play with it. It's probably not going to do anything. I'm 
fairly confident based on what they've talked about so far that on the 14 inch, you're probably not going to see as big of a difference uh, with the pro versus the max. Like I feel like you probably need a 16 inch MacBook for the max GPU to really flex its muscles. But regardless, I've got that coming 32 gigs of Ram and two terabyte SSD and silver, the correct color. I love but, uh, space gray. Yeah, you and everyone else in the office. I'm no, the only silver. See, I would have gone with, with silver, but I was ordering too fast and forgot I could choose. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? That actually happened to me once. There was like I've a done MacBook this so many Cal- times. I always yeah, mess it yeah. up somehow, man. <laughs> we actually ordered our stuff late because we have like this Apple business like account that was like like broken at the time. So yep. we actually didn't get our orders in until like two or three days after the event. So almost all of our systems are showing up uh, well into November, and a lot of them are coming in December. So it's going to be a little while. next but... week, though, because I, I ordered quickly. Ooh, so, But I'm nice. not at the beginning, because it, it seems like if you did some of the build-to-order stuff, like because I went with the higher RAM as well, like it seems like people who did that maybe got it a bit pushed out. But mine's yeah. going to come sometime between the 29th and the 2nd, which I'm perfectly happy with. So I'm hoping. Nice. I, I reckon it will probably come... Uh, on the 29th. Apple tends to do pretty well with that stuff. Yeah, I should hopefully have my hands on at least one of the 14s by the time we record our next episode. So, surprise, surprise, a two-part episode that you have to wait two weeks. big two-part, a big two-part. <laughs> Man, I'm so friggin' hyped for this computer. Oh, my God, it looks so good. Mm, yeah. Like, because like, here's what I say, right? The power stuff, awesome, right? Like, great. But, like, the M1's already powerful enough. For me, I wanted more RAM. That was my main thing. Because on my laptop, every now and then, the app is quite freaked out. I get the thing. It's like, hey, you're using too much memory, right? So, like, I wanted more wow. memory. I get this pop up. It's like, you've got too many apps open. And I'm like, yeah, but I like having all my apps open. Leave me alone, right? But is it is it like logic that's eating up a lot of your RAM? No, no. It's just like general stuff, like Safari, Todoist, like really? messages, notes, craft, like all those kinds of apps. It doesn't happen, wow. but it happens. Like, maybe once or twice a week I'll get a thing and it's like please close an app and I'm like I don't want to close an app but anyway because I got 16 gig <laughs> Western RAM me. on them like and I I use I have a lot of apps open I like to, on my Mac I keep everything open I don't know why it's just how I am and so I'm yeah, happy yeah. I'll be able to get a machine that can do that I never get this issue on my uh, M1 iMac it's just on my MacBook Pro interesting I don't know what's going on there might be something weird going on with that computer I don't know uh, if you're the person who's going to buy this computer from me ignore that I said that because I'm going to sell <laughs> that laptop now right to try to fund the current one like new barely used it's perfectly loved you know <laughs> really great um, but just everything else about this machine is so amazing like I'm so friggin hyped the design of it looks super cool like I love the kind of semi-retro design like it, it it's got definitely some like older macbook or like old power book kind of vibes to it i love mm-hmm. the black uh keyboard area i think that looks sweet um all of the ports you know like i'm not really a big sd card or hdmi person but i'm happy it's there for the people that need it and for the very rare occasions where i'm gonna need it i'm sure i'll be pleased that it's there are you to either of those like actually make a appreciable difference do you think for your use cases Sort of. So HDMI is something that I actually do use on a somewhat regular basis when I'm like plugging in. Like we uh, sometimes like, you know, when we're watching a video in the office or whatever, like I'll like yeah. AirPlay, but half the time AirPlay and Google Drive and Opera or whatever, they, they don't all want to work together. So oftentimes I'll just plug in something with a dongle to HDMI. Uh, SD cards, funny, actually, we don't use SD cards that often because a lot of uh, most of our cameras shoot 
either on SSDs or they shoot on like CFAST cards or whatever. However, uh, we actually can switch over to SD cards um, for a lot of our like Sony A7 stuff, which is right. a good chunk of what we shoot. Um, we can if we just upgrade the speed of our SD cards and buy whatever the V. UH, whatever the high-end SD cards, we can technically record uh, everything we need on those. So we're probably going to start switching over to at least some more SD card stuff. So I'd say it's like, it's nice. I'm still probably going to need some dongles, though, for like Ethernet and USB-A and a couple of other things. You know what I'm actually excited for, though, is having more Thunderbolt ports. I'm actually happy to have at least three because I've been living on two. And because I use a YubiKey, I generally have had a one-port MacBook for the last year, which is very irritating. Yeah, I'm I'm too as well. I know there are certain you know there are certain MacBook Pros where you can have more, right? And I we just haven't been on that train, so we will actually be getting more plus MagSafe. So you really, yeah. like, technically, it is more. It's like two more, really, because I mm-hmm. don't need to charge anymore. So I'm I'm happy about that. I'm pretty I'm pretty surprised about the screen. Look, the rumors that morning that there was going to be a notch, I saw, and I was like, that's hilarious. A notch on a laptop? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> mm, uh, got that one wrong. Uh, look, I mean, it's fine. Like, I don't really care that much because if you think about it, you know, the, the bezels I'm are smaller. I'm talking more about the specs. The notch, I don't care about. Yeah. I don't care about it. It doesn't bother me at all. I don't care. Like, there's a menu bar, like, whatever. But like mm-hmm. I, you know, like to, to do you don't I assume you were in a similar campus, like whatever. Yeah, I mean, uh, I will be curious because like I'm looking at my MacBook display right now, and I do have enough things, especially with iStat menus open, that it actually goes all the way over to where my webcam is. Oh well, you're gonna be. I'm curious in what's gonna happen there. With many people who are gonna discover the app called Bartender. Do you know about Bartender? I do not. No. Bartender is an application that lets you hide things in your menu bar. You put Ooh. them into like a secondary menu. Ah, Bartender yep. is an app that's been around forever. Like it's been like a year. I've used it for years and years. It is a really great application. And they are about to sell a bajillion more units of this app. <laughs> it's oh, really cool. cool. Like it, it, yeah, it lets yeah, you yeah. hide stuff, basically, the things that you don't necessarily want to see or like that you want in the menu bar, but you don't need to always have visible. So you just have like one little thing, you hover over it, and then pow, do you see the rest? Or you can have it where you tap it and it comes down as like a second menu bar underneath. It's a nice little application. Like this one, I was joking about with some friends, like you're familiar with the phrase Sherlocking, right? Where like Apple destroys your thing. It's like a reverse of that, where like something (laughs) Apple has done has now made this app even more useful for people. So I Mm -hmm. recommend Bartender, like all kind of like old school Mac apps. There's a free trial. You can download it and check it out. Like I've used it for years. It's really, really good. And now other people will get to use it so they can uh, not have things hide behind their notch, I guess. Nice. Yeah, I'll definitely be using that. But I definitely hear you on the specs of the screen, though. 120 hertz. But, I mean, to be fair, we just did see the Surface Laptop Studio with 120Hz display. This does seem like it's a little bit above that. Yeah, but the Apple just did it, right? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like 120Hz ProMotion, like, it's only existed on one thing, right? Like, just on the iPad Pro for mm-hmm. years, right? And then yeah. it's like, they've just put it on the iPhone, and now it's like immediately on the Mac. Like, 120Hz mini LED display, yeah, Man, that's gonna be sick. Well, and I think the mini LED part's important because, like, I think a lot of Windows users are like, I've had a 120 hertz display or 144, whatever, for years, but that paired with an actually good display 
technology is a very different story because a lot of, I mean, look, most laptop displays are okay at best. And generally speaking, MacBooks have had good high quality panels. But the fact that you've got that crazy brightness, you've got the local dimming zones, you've got actually good contrast and, and, and full HDR support and all this kind of stuff, that paired with 120 hertz and it's variable as well. And I like the fact that if you're like an editor, for example, you can lock the frame rate to like 48 that was or 60 nice or whatever. Thing they just showed that off in the presentation, right? They were yep. just like, yeah, no, it's good. Don't worry about it. Like, yeah, it's like, like oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> you know? No, because <laughs> especially for us, because we record and edit at 24 frames per second, which does not perfectly divide down to a 60 hertz display. Mm-hmm. So we're always looking at, I mean, you're, you get used to it, but you're never looking at the display, the correct sort of way like you're always seeing things slightly with weird like frame persistence so the fact that i can lock when i'm editing i can lock my macbook to 48 assuming of course that you know i'm inside final cut so it's probably just going to automatically set on it but if not i could just set my display manually to 48 hertz and see the correct frame rate of my video is a really nice feature like I'm, i'm happy about that not exactly like i think that was actually already a thing to be fair but i think it's gonna be more noticeable at 120 hertz compared to where it was at 60. I believe 24 is the minimum that these machines refresh at. It yes. doesn't go down to like 10. Um, but, and I think that's a, that's an LED thing. It's like it's... Yeah. It's, you know. I think OLED is a little bit... Those LTPO panels, they have a little bit more yep. dynamic range, 10 yep. to... Because I think the iPad was the same way. It's 24 on the low end for ProMotion as well, right? Right, right. yeah. But the phone goes down to like 1. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the Apple Watch does. I don't remember what the phone does, but I know the it's Apple Watch low. goes down incredibly low. What did you think about the charts? Like everyone, you know, these two. <laughs> but what I liked about the charts this time, and I appreciate this, uh, I actually got to tell somebody at Apple this, like that they put the computers in there. Yes, yes. Because so like, okay. that, that, like, you know, what I'm waiting for is all of my favorite tech YouTubers, like you, to, like, get those machines, right? It's like, all right, <laughs> here we go, right? I know there's going to be a bunch of videos that are because it's a good one to do, right? It's like, yeah, well, yeah. like, not only can you actually benchmark it against stuff, they have given the machines that these can be mm-hmm. benchmarked against. And, like, I think the thing that is really interesting, right, is the fact that, like, they're not necessarily saying in a lot of instances that the M1 Pro and M1 Max are going to beat these machines, but it's about how close they can get whilst also being on battery power or also being, like, with a 20-hour battery life or whatever, right? Like, it's... Yeah. I think that's that's kind of the key part here of, like, just how good and how close these machines can be whilst also doing it on a power-efficient way, which is just not a thing that exists currently, which is, I don't know, it's, I find it really fascinating. That's what I'm excited to see about. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very excited. I think they did a much better job because, like, Apple has had some real performance leadership in a lot of ways for several years now. And especially with M1, they blew the doors off of, I think, what a lot of people had sort of expected that that, between that and the ARM transition and whatnot, would work. Um, I'm happy that they spent a lot of time. I mean, it's not perfect. They still were talking about things in like relative performance, which I mean, I assume it's like some spec number or whatever, or like they create what they refer to as their own synthetic benchmark, which is apparently mm-hmm. built up of a bunch of stuff, which it seems like they are just, they just don't want to give out what it is. Yeah. But the, but the thing is though, it doesn't matter, right? Cause you, we could just test it ourselves, right? Like everyone can yep. do these tests, right? Like you can just create your own set of benchmarks because mm-hmm. ultimately it's like what I was saying about Geekbench scores earlier on. Like, 
everyone's benchmarks are different depending on what they care about. Like for yeah. me, it's how fast can logic export, which sure nobody on YouTube is showing me anyway, right? Like everyone wants to be like, <laughs> I'll show you how fast Final Cut exports. And I'm like, that's good for you, Austin Evans. I never use Final Cut, <laughs> right? So it's like, it's different for, for different people, like depending on what you're using. But there are, there, there's, as I said, there's, as I said, there's something to be said. Each benchmark can show you a relative thing, yeah. which is important, but you still have to be able to take away from it what you want, which is like also about like the power thing where it's like, all right, let's imagine, like, let's imagine Apple create a chip and like the GPU is 26 times more powerful than a 3080 Ti, right? But it only mm-hmm. has 25 seconds of battery life. So what's the freaking point? You know what I mean? It's like you've got everything has to kind of be taken into consideration. Uh, so I, so yeah, I'm intrigued just to see where it goes. But I do want to mention about the GPU thing before I forget. I don't think Apple's ever using anybody's GPUs anymore. Oh no, no, I, this made it super clear, yeah, especially with all the ideas to. that, like, you know, the new Mac Pro may have like four M1 Maxes glued together. God, yeah. I can't, I'm still not used to saying. M1 Max running M1 Max. I've decided I'm gonna say chip. M1 Max chip. I'm gonna just try and get used to saying that. M M1 Pro chip, M1 Max chip, because this is a particular problem with podcasts even more than video, because you can say M1 Max with M1 Max. And what did I just say to you, right? I don't know. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, and, and, but I just said an accurate sentence. When you read it, it's fine. It's mm-hmm. perfectly understandable. But when mm-hmm. I say it out loud, so I'm going to say, I would say M1 Max with M1 Max chips. Now you know what I mean. That's probably what I'm going to go with. Yes. Okay. I'm definitely going to steal that because yep. I've said it wrong many times. Look, it's cool. I'm very happy that we've seen this. Uh, I'm incredibly excited to get my hands on these things. They look incredibly powerful. I will say I do have one slight concern. All right. So you know how I was talking about how the Surface Laptop Studio is a little on the chunky side, a little heavy? Uh, Even the um, 14-inch MacBook Pro is still a decent bit heavier and thicker than the existing 13, Um, not only just in sort of thickness, but also in that weight. And it also has less battery life. So uh, the 16, I know, has an improvement. But if you look at the 13-inch MacBook Pro compared to the 14-inch M1 versus M1 Pro or M1 uh, Max, it actually loses a little bit. Um, I I will say I've been very happy with the size, weight, and performance trade-off of the existing MacBooks. And I know, obviously, that, you know, this 13 is probably not long for this world. But that is one thing I'm a little concerned about is maybe this thing's going to be a little heavy, a little thick, a little too much. Like It's it's bigger in basically every dimension. It's like they're a little bit bigger and a little bit heavier. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm not super jazzed about that. I, I actually am one of these people that would love my laptop to get lighter i don't want it at the uh, expense of performance so like i'm not going to complain about it i'm not massively excited that it's getting heavier but i'll accept it but like i would like i i do want my laptops to always get lighter but as i say i don't want them to get less performant i understand physics so i don't get upset about it and this is the right trade-off, most likely. I'm just, that's the one thing where until I actually get my hands on these things, let's spend some time, it it's a slight concern. Also, uh, look, I gotta say, I'm gonna miss the touch bar. I like the touch bar, Mike. I like the touch bar. Interesting. I, I will say, like, I will miss it for the things that I like it for. I do, do you, I do hit mine more than I wish I did. 
like I accidentally brush against it. I think this is a personal thing about where you naturally lay your hands on the keyboard. And mm-hmm. I have noticed that I naturally lay my hands when I'm just when they're like idle in such a way that my pinky finger touches the touch bar. See, I yeah, I've never had that problem. Like, it's just a personal thing. <sighs> yeah. I just, I like the touch bar. Like, I find that the touch bar, the way to adjust brightness and volume is so much faster. Just setting your finger down, sliding left and right. I'm not tap, 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 tapping. Uh, I like the fact that, like, you know, when we're recording the podcast, I don't have to go and click on something on the screen. I just tap the record button on my touch bar. In Final Cut, I have several keyboard shortcuts on the touch bar. Look, I get it. The touch bar was never super well implemented. Yeah, blah, blah, whatever. I'm going to miss a little bit because like boring regular keys. I know the vast majority of the internet is incredibly excited for it. Hey, look, but someone's like, got to say it, you know? Look, I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying the day that this M1 MacBook Pro is no longer my daily and I say goodbye to the touch bar for the first time in like five years, it's going to be a little sad, man. I'm going to I'm gonna miss it. I'm sure I'll live. Uh, we lived before. We'll live without it. But uh, if we're going to say a couple of things I'm a little concerned about, uh, I'm going to miss the touch bar. But you put everything together. I mean, especially the fact that, again, coming back to the Final Cut example, the fact that these things have not only all that performance, but also they have like the beefy video encoding and decoding for all these codecs that we use, including yep. ProRes. Man, this M1, I have had no issues with editing on short of some of the more complex timelines that I have that sometimes chug a little bit, but like the M1 has already been good with all of this performance and all that video encoding power and stuff, man, my expectations are sky high for the performance of one of these M1 pros or really the M1 Maxes especially. Like Like I'm sure you, you caught it, but like they said that it will, it will work with uh, final cut, like exporting and stuff. I think they said it was exporting. Yeah, faster yeah. than a Mac Pro with an afterburner. And that is unbelievable. It's unbelievable, right? Because the afterburner is made specifically to to do this. And, and it's going to like and, and that machine's so big. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's it's incredible. I can't wait to see the reviews. In a lot of ways it almost seems like the M1 Pro and the Max have afterburner-ish things cuz like what was the afterburner I think that's kind of what they said like it it's yeah. some of the same tech that they that they use for that it's just built into the similar chip now yeah. Uh, and one other thing I am excited to try is between the Pro and the Max it does seem like for video editors the Max if I recall correctly it actually has like double the encode and decode because essentially the Pro and the Max, it's like a butterfly layout. It's almost yes. like kind of like what Sony did with the PS4 Pro versus PS4. Uh-huh. And that the PS4 Pro was essentially like they duplicated the GPU and it was kind of like flipped over so it was connected. The Pro and the Max have basically the same GPU except the Max just has like double and it's rotated and it's attached which would make sense if it has all of that video encoding and decoding also duplicated uh so i i does seem like the max is probably gonna be better for people who work with video a lot but regardless these things look super impressive man there's so much good stuff to talk about this episode there's so much i'm like we can get ready for part (laughs) two of this episode coming in a couple of weeks time oh dude i cannot wait hopefully everything is wonderful and great and I have no more complaints about any tech ever again. But then you have to retire. I can't wait to complain about some more tech. <laughs>